and <clears throat> there were a, there was a cache of documents released by anonymous Bulgaria, almost in a in a WikiLeaks kind of a style, where some of the bills of lading and the various shipping documents related to the cargo uh, contained and and trafficked on this commercial uh, civil aviation airline were just dangerous and in some cases illegal munitions through. Uh, the German military out of uh, air bases in Germany and in other countries around the world to Afghanistan and, uh, you know, areas in the Middle East that are hotbeds. And one important aspect of that, Evelyn, is, uh, you may recall, with the Maersk Shipping Company, the diplomatic um, pouch being used as a way to move containers full of illicit cargo through our ports. Well, Silkways um, has is a diplomatic airline, so all of the cargo that it ships is under diplomatic pouch status. So it cannot be, it is not tracked according to the regular paperwork requirements, and it cannot be inspected. And among those weapons are included 200 tons of white phosphorus, that yeah. substance that burns the skin through to the bone. And I think a lot of people out there have seen that um, WikiLeaks tweet with the photograph of, I think she's a nine-year-old girl, Wala, whose face had been completely disfigured by this white phosphorus. And that's the thing is that, you know, these innocent civilians who are being killed and um, tortured with these inhuman materials. and. Yeah. It's not, it's not anything to do with fighting ISIS when, in fact, we're the ones arming ISIS. That's right. That's right. And, it's, you know, these are illegal weapons, according to the U.N., so it's quite shocking. And as many people that have seen that photograph of Wala, who is disfigured for life, uh, I think there are many more people who are totally unaware that these dangerous white phosphorus and, in some cases, depleted uranium weapons are being shipped. Uh, for profit by people like, well, I mean, we should say the owners of the companies, things like KKR, we've got uh, David Petraeus in there, and in many cases, members of Congress, That's Graham, John McCain, they're involved and in, in knowingly involved in shipping these weapons around, and as Trish pointed out, utilizing the dangerous loophole of the diplomatic pouch, which when it was originally introduced was really just a handle. Purse. And as Trish yeah, pointed out, say, it's who, grown who, in size. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, who who put this out here? Who made that happen? To have these diplomatic pouches that don't get checked or anything? Well, I mean, again, the diplomatic pouch, when it was introduced, is part of the Vienna Convention that allows diplomats to travel the world with personal effects without them being inspected by customs. And I, I mean, I can only presume that it's done out of uh, common respect for diplomats from each other, you know, sort of a respect reciprocal courtesy to diplomats from other countries, but it's become a dangerous loophole because when that hand pouch becomes a steamer trunk, becomes a cargo shipping container, you know, as we saw several weeks ago when, when uh, we had the incident with the Maersk Memphis in the port of Charleston, South Carolina, uh, we had good intelligence that indicated that there was dangerous radiological material 
on board the Maersk Memphis, which is not rated to carry radiological material. And, you know, that intelligence comes in part from a group that George is dealing with. Uh, the, the point person on that group is someone that goes by the code name of Deep Uranium. And, uh, you know, this is intelligence that George gets from, you know, as he's characterized on the air, retired FBI, retired DEA, retired Homeland Security, retired NYPD, in some cases active FBI or NYPD. We don't, I personally and Trish personally don't know exactly who these people are, but they've got very credible intelligence and they've got amazing experience. And, and when well, we I think hear it's this, important to note, to just interject, Jason, is that sure. a lot of these, a lot of this uranium is what's going into those illicit weapons shipments right. being transported by Silkwave Airlines under this diplomatic um, cover. So and Maersk, and Maersk, and you know we're not just taking yep. shots in the dark here. There was an incident with Maersk where a ship was grounded in. Uh, where, where was it, Trish? Not Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. but uh, Bangladesh. Bangladesh. And the Bangladesh, the government of Bangladesh indicated that the, uh, the radiation levels on that vessel were dangerously high to the public. So we're not making this and, up. These materials are And not are only that, but that ship was not authorized to be carrying right. radiological right. material. That's so right. In oh, the right. And I can, but I can see, you know, if they... If they this diplomatic pouch business for diplomats and stuff that, you know, picture them bringing their luggage here or something to come here to visit or whatever, that they didn't right. need to inspect that. But they didn't mean right. it to have whole ships of weapons. Well, let me put it to you this way, Evelyn. In the case of white phosphorus, right, and this goes back right. to George's original topic that he started the investigation on with Eric Braverman leaving the Clinton Foundation, uh, you know, right. what George has told us is that there was going to be a confab in Morocco that the Clinton Foundation was arranging. And there are various uh, monarchs in the Middle East, you know, kings and such, and members of the royal family. And, you know, there's a phosphate um, king in Morocco who was making a contribution to the Clinton Foundation of $16 million. And I so, thought it was $35 million. Well, it was $12 million from the king of Morocco and another $16 million from the phosphate king. And the idea is, you know, these guys aren't just giving out money for no reason. They want legislation to sort of go their way. And, you know, the mainstream media in the United States is very adept at making it sound ridiculous to say that, uh, you know, classified information was improperly stored and transmitted over private email servers, but when you start to really dig into what the nature of that classified information was, it's really not acceptable to just say, oh, well, you know, I used personal email, sorry, I won't do it again. We really need to know what was in those emails because... Well, and Judicial Watch actually just got another batch of um, emails that it had requested with FOIAs, and among those include specific arrangements, pay-to-play arrangements that were um, executed by Huma Abedin, as well as classified information being transmitted over the server. So it's, the evidence continues to build. Of the, now, the, well, yeah, it's, and it's not surprising why they're hiding these emails so much. I mean, right. look at what's in them. Exactly. Exactly. And then well, it really makes you wonder the... what's in the 33,000 that were deleted, right. as bad as these are. 
can you imagine? Right. Even the ones that they went to all the trouble of bleach fitting, and that Peter right. Smith was uh, yes. appeared very Murdered. close to acquiring before he died. Mm-hmm. Right. Now let's talk right. about that for a minute because all of these things are interconnected. Uh, people who oh, have right. been That's following. Right. People who have been following George's investigation on the George Webb channel on YouTube or the crowdsource community, and Evelyn, I know you're uh, on almost all of our broadcasts in the comments and following very closely on the Crowdsource the Truth channel on YouTube. Well, the Iwan yeah. brothers play a critical role here. And the Iwan yeah, the brothers spy, are the ones that are running brothers, the spy ring in Congress. They're into right, this. Who That's right, the spy ring. <laughs> right. And it wasn't just the yeah. spy ring. They were embedded in the IT department. They infiltrated the IT department. So they had access to all of the email data. And, and this is, you know, I think it was the Daily Caller or True Pundit that reported that they were blackmailing members of Congress with their own data. Yeah, so the, and the department see. the most sensitive committee. Uh, right. You, you know, discussing top secret um, content, and all of this is right. being forwarded to off-site servers, which we also know for a fact that this is not right. conjecture. No, that's coming from the D.C. Capitol Police. That's coming from ongoing investigations. We're not making this stuff that's up. Right. So when you look at it all in total and you realize that there were, uh, you know, there's a blackmail situation going on that obviously is affecting the way legislation is made. There are illegal arms deals going on through uh, companies that are owned in part or in whole by individuals who were previously in the government or are currently in the government. It right. really and is shocking. Some of those individuals that own some of these arms companies. Well, John you know, McCain, right? John McCain is involved. Uh, there's there's several companies that are really at the center of it. Uh, there's one called Purple Shovel that's involved in uranium mining. Of course, the Clintons were involved. Uh, you know, the New York Times Lindsey published Graham. an article. Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, Graham yes, John McCain, John David Petraeus, yes. and the list goes on. But again, we're we'll not playing the Podesta brothers, right? The Podesta brothers the are Podesta involved. Brothers. Let's just look for yep. a moment at the company Uranium One, which the New York Times did a story in, I think, April of 2015, the title of which was essentially Cash Flow to the Clinton Foundation Amid Uranium One Deal. So the Podesta Group lobbied for Uranium One, which was a Canadian company, uh, to be sold to a Russian investment bank, which paid Bill Clinton $500,000 to make a speech and, of course, Charles Ortel, who's become a very good friend of the crowdsource community and an active member, he's involved, you know, helping us by providing elements of his research. Uh, Great. He points out that this is an illegal use of the 501c3 Clinton Foundation, that you can't just go and get a $500,000. never been registered properly. So this Great. Moscow Investment Bank pays $500,000 fee to Bill Clinton while Hillary Clinton is the Secretary of State. John Podesta and the Podesta Group are lobbying for the sale of this uranium company. And they did not register properly, I don't believe, when they were doing this work. You're supposed to register. A litany of violations. But what happens in the end is a Russian-controlled company now has 20% of the uranium mining rights in the United States. And uranium is a strategic asset for creating nuclear weapons and fuel for nuclear reactors. And the depleted uranium, that's the waste product of uh, 
enriched uranium then goes into these deadly, dangerous, and banned weapons, banned illegal chemical weapons under the United Nations uh, directive, which, uh, you know, I forget the exact directive, but they are illegal chemical weapons, according to the United Nations, but yet the United States military is dropping these weapons all over Iraq, Syria, Libya, creating a devastating environmental catastrophe in these countries. The birth defect rates in Iraq are through the roof, and the U.S. servicemen and women that handle these weapons, and we've heard about this for years, this is not shocking news, you know, uh, Gulf War Syndrome is a range of diseases from cancers to digestive problems to uh, reproductive problems, and this uranium is so toxic, Evelyn. There are several documented cases of servicemen coming back from Iraq who are uh, made sick by this depleted uranium. Their cells are permeated by these radioactive particles to the extent that when they have children with their wives, the transmission of semen to their wives through impregnating them puts toxic radiological material into their wives' bodies and makes them wives sick, makes their offspring sick. I mean, this is a serious serious problem and if there are people who are making money from selling these weapons it's horrible including our own when they sit here and start wars by accusing all these other countries accusing their presidents and stuff of using chemical weapons and stuff on their people that's right we're the ones that are doing this and our politicians and it comes out now they even own these companies that are making these weapons that's right and it was hillary clinton who approved the sale of sarin gas to the isis rebels inside of syria Right, and it right. was smuggled into the country through a Turkish rat line that was bringing in tens of thousands of terrorists from Libya and Iraq that they had been recruited to overthrow Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein. And they're being smuggled in inside um, World Food Organization trucks. Right. That it's just really hard to believe. Exposed back in 2013, and the next day after her last report, she, within weeks of her first report, she was killed in a car accident. And not to mention Peter Smith, who we yes. have talked with Charles Ortel about extensively, and who knew not only knew um, Peter as a colleague, but they were somewhat friendly, and he had spoken with, to him within hours of Peter being found dead, and found the reports of suicide just utterly absurd. And he's very concerned about, you know, what's behind all of this reporting that's going on around it. Well, right, all this murder, and that's why we are all so worried and concerned about you three. You know, you're putting yourselves out there every day. I mean, you go out where people can get answers. I mean, you know, they're, they're murdering anybody that is getting close to exposing this criminal operation. And I tell you, we love you guys. And something happens thank to you. one of you, and all hell will break loose. I guarantee you, because well, we will you, not Evan. let this happen. We love you. We respect you. You are true heroes. And, and you're putting your lives out there. Something happens to one of you, and all hell will break loose. We appreciate you saying that. And we hope nothing will happen. We're trying to be careful. Totally. But it's, you know, it's I an pray important every point. day for your safety. Yes. George well, always you, talks Evelyn. about George always talks about his mathematical analytical approach to these types of things. And if we look at someone like Peter Smith and say, "Oh, well, you know, he was 81, 
and he died of natural causes. But then suddenly this story comes up that he committed suicide using two tanks of helium and putting a bag over his head. Well, I mean, it sounds a little bizarre. I, I, it seems like a, you know, and people will go and say, oh, you know, if you look at these euthanasia sites, that is a method that people right. use to commit suicide. I mean, maybe, maybe oh, so. Right. But we just, on Sunday, uh, the three of us just did an interview with Charles, which people can see online now at Crowdsource the Truth on YouTube. And Charles talked at length, as Trish said, about the conversations that he was having with Peter. And he said despite the fact that he was 81, Charles thought Peter was in his 70s because he was, you know, in good health and, uh, well, in generally good health. He was going to the Mayo Clinic for a sickness that he was dealing with. But, in other words, he was mentally fit and he was able to work and he was very interested in his research and he was very enthusiastic about moving forward with the uh, investigation that he was doing. And there was no indication given to Charles that Peter was about to kill himself. But the timeline that we're presented with would indicate that he had already purchased this helium that they're telling us he used to kill himself and just strictly in terms of the you know the time correlation with which uh, Peter Smith has died and we've also got Trish what's the name of the Haitian diplomat who yeah, uh, was Eberwein. supposed to testify? I was going to say Eberwein. that gentleman is a formal, a, so a he's committed suicide. And we've got well, no, he was found with a gunshot wound to the head, and it was claimed to be suicide. But he was scheduled right. to testify on right. Tuesday against, right. in a fraud um, case that involved the Clinton Foundation. And not only that, he was found dead in Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Florida District, where three right. attorneys were found dead only two months ago and within two, two weeks of each other, all of them died violent deaths. One of them right. a gunshot wound to the head, another a high-speed car uh, hit-and-run, and right. the third was a supposed suicide, again, a uh, gunshot wound to the head, I believe. Um, and then when you start to correlate all of these things, that all of these people are peripherally connected to each other in as much as they've been investigating the Clintons. And then you look at, you know, even historical incidents like Vince Foster. How many suicides can there possibly be before it becomes mathematically and statistically ridiculous to presume that each of these people who die in curious and unlikely circumstances, it just, it, it doesn't... It doesn't wash. It doesn't stand up to real scrutiny. Well, no, and this is so scary to me that this is going on in plain sight right out on the streets and sometimes in broad daylight, and nothing gets done about it. They get well, murdered. not only that, people think we're conspiracy theorists for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Have we ever found out what happened to Seth Rich? Is he dead or alive? Well, I mean, again, I've been uh, sort of vocal about my rather controversial theory that I do not believe that he's dead. We've, we've done an interview uh, several weeks ago with Rod Wheeler, who is the uh, former PC Metro Police homicide detective who now works as a private investigator and was hired by the Rich family ostensibly to solve the murder. However, as he got close to solving it, the family inexplicably, inexplicably took him off the case and, and further told him not to release his uh, information, not to release his report, and have, have basically put him under a gag order. Now, 
what Rod indicated in the interview that we did, which is also on the Crowdsource the Truth YouTube channel, he said that there's been no autopsy report presented, there's been no death certificate presented, there's no ballistic evidence, there's no photographic evidence. There were three responding officers that were wearing video recording body cameras. None of that evidence has been seen or shown. And uh, last week in Washington, D.C., George and I spoke to another retired Metro PD officer. Both he and Rod Wheeler said the circumstances that I just described, in their own words, never happens. Now, right. I mean, well, I've not spoken... only that, Jason, not yeah. only was that none of that available, but in two separate FOIA requests, one by Scott Taylor of ABC7 News right. was for the body cameras um, footage and the right. autopsy, both of which were denied by the D.C. Police Department. And yes. then a Judicial Watch submitted a FOIA, and I can't remember what it was for, but it was a no-records response, which means mm-hmm. either there is no case, so there are no, no official records available on it, or mm-hmm. it's being treated as state secret. Right. And, of course, last week, Thomas Paine of True Pundit released a story where he revealed that his contacts within uh, the Metro PD said that there was no serious investigation going on. Uh, Furthermore, in an interview that we did with Dr. Jerome Corsi, Dr. Corsi revealed that Seth Rich had been an operative of a political uh, firm called Greenberg, Quinlan, and Rosner, which is essentially a dirty tricks firm that engages in opposition research and and various, you know, it's sort of like a a very D.C. This is not the type of firm that you would have in uh, the middle of Iowa or even Los Angeles necessarily. It's a David Brock kind of firm, like Media Matters, like they hire armies of trolls and stuff like that. Oh, operatives to do strange political things. And in Dr. Corsi's words, Seth Rich was no innocent baby in this. And we know that right. Seth Rich's brother, Aaron, works for Northrop Grumman as some sort of computer expert. George categorizes him as a hacker. We know that he has a top-secret clearance. And we've seen him in various photographs and interviews about the death of his brother looking strange, sort of smiling for someone whose brother might be killed. So my, my position is I do not believe that Seth Rich is dead. I believe that Seth Rich, initially I thought he might have been kidnapped and that that would explain the family's strange behavior, that someone who had kidnapped their son was dictating to them what should be done in terms of how they are to convince the public uh, of, of his, uh, you know, basically tell everybody he's dead or we're going to kill him. But now I think it might be something different. I think that Seth Rich might be involved in a cover-up of the actual uh, situation, which is, again, Eric Braverman. And, of course, right. Trish and I went to London uh, about a month ago to... Uh, right, I was going to say that. So we're, we're looking for Eric Braverman for a year, and then he turns up. You guys traveled all the way to London, and, yeah, tell him what you found. Well, Trish, why don't you tell the story? Well, uh, we, to our um, delight, we were told that he was going to be there, and uh, Jason had requested an interview with him in advance, but um, we hadn't heard back or seen the response, I don't think, by the time we got there, but we went into the room um, a few minutes before he was scheduled to speak and sat down in the front row because uh, Jason wanted to sort of capture whatever we could that didn't include the official um, 
presentation, and a few minutes after we sat down, a woman rushes up to us and tells us that we have to leave, and she's very agitated. Her voice was shaking, she, and she was clearly um, upset, and she ordered us to leave. We asked her, you know, what was wrong and why we couldn't be there, and she said we had shown up only for this one um, presentation, and that's not right, and so we're not welcome, and there's not, and I, we responded by asking where it said that we couldn't just participate in this one thing, but we had, in fact, been at an earlier presentation as well, but it was all just a very uh, sort of surreal experience because she was yelling, and it turns out it was the dean of the school. This That's very right. Gare, Gare Wood, school. the dean of the Blavatnik School of Government, <laughs> attempted to kick us out wow. for no good reason. Yeah, that is really was, bizarre. Was that shocking. was really bizarre. Well, but we, we, we apologized, we, you know, agreed, we asked if we could move to a different place, if that would make her feel better, that we really did want to be there for legitimate reasons, and so she let us stay, but we noticed what happened was when the time for the program to start came and went, and maybe seven, eight minutes later... Eric Braver, everybody else is up on stage. There are a total of four participants, and three were there seated. Eric is rushed in, accompanied by an entourage of people up to the stage, and he sits down, and that entourage proceeds to sort of surround me and Jason in strategic um, positions, seated and standing behind us. So we listen to... Um, Eric's talk, and, you know, it, I was really glad that we had the chance to watch it later because you don't catch everything when you're present and sort of trying to process what you're hearing at the time. But he talked, all of them talked a lot about corruption in the system and how impossible a position it is to be in when you're the only one who's trying to expose it or change it, and that, in fact, you just sort of set yourself up for um, being, you know, forced into compliance or, you know, otherwise silent. So well, he should know. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, he's got enough background to talk about that. It was very, very interesting, Evelyn, and I would encourage your listeners to go onto YouTube and just search for Braverman Blavatnik, B-L-A-V-A-T-N-I-K. The Blavatnik School of Government did its own live stream of the speech, the presentation, and it was interesting how each of the four participants spoke about how difficult it was to be the one person inside a corrupt organization who's trying to do the right thing. And, you know, at one point during the presentation, Eric Braverman, I feel, looked right at me. And I felt as if he was speaking to me. And it's been so interesting because so many of the people involved in this whole story, this whole odyssey, whatever it is you'd want to call it, including George, they're not really always able to speak directly, you know, to be what I call on the nose. They need to inherently kind of dance around what they're saying, not to be deceptive, not to be tricky, but because 
they aren't in a position to speak openly. I really do believe that if you if you watch that presentation that Trish and I went to see in Oxford, I think that Eric Braverman was speaking about how we need to fight corruption. He said we can use technology to bring people together in ways that we never could before. And I felt like he was talking about the crowdsource, the truth community. He, we, yeah, and he was talk, he said specifically, I believe, you know, that people in large numbers who are able to connect with, you know, these great innovations on with social media um, mm-hmm. that really brings power. And he specifically referred to the ability of people like in, and he mentioned Haiti taking yeah. pictures of, you know, the progress in the rebuilding there, which never happened, as we know, you right. know, the, Clinton right. Foundation kept $5.4 billion of the $6 billion that was supposed to go to rebuilding Haiti or something along those lines. So, mm-hmm. um, and then at the end, so he finishes, you know, great presentation, and Jason and I get up to see if we can go um, manage to ask him a few questions on his way out, and we were blocked uh, at every turn, and uh, Eric was handed a phone immediately by someone, and he was whisked into an elevator, and Jason was physically blocked from um, getting onto that elevator. And then literally grabbed. Uh, that was it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Literally, literally grabbed and held by a security guard who prevented from entering the elevator. It was shocking. Wow. Wow. No. Now, with him now, when he quit that Clinton Foundation, I know that, and I should tell everybody, you know, this crowdsource investigation, I mean, they do all, they do all, George does his daily interviews or daily, you know, um, testimonies on tape. Uh, you guys do all of, all of your reporting on tape. And so, I mean, this is so interesting for people that are, are limited to the mainstream media that that's all they get is the shoveled-out stuff that they broadcast on the air. But the way you guys are doing this investigation, people can go and watch your videos and participate and, and see how it goes along. And as things develop, you come out every day. Well, that's, with new the, key. Things that's the key, Evelyn, is the participation. For example, last night we did a broadcast where uh, we went to the tweet from uh, anonymous Bulgaria. When, when, last week when George and I were in Washington, D.C., Someone brought to our attention this tweet that went out from anonymous Bulgaria that contained uh, lots of emails with regard to this Silkways, Airways, diplomatic, you know, loophole where they were shipping munitions to the Middle East on these commercial and diplomatic flights. And uh, so, you know, George and I were basically kind of wrapping up for the day, finishing our research and and heading out to dinner. And someone sent me an email, a member of the crowdsource community sent me an email basically just asking, hey, are you guys going to release these emails from uh, Anonymous Bulgaria? And I went back to the Anonymous Bulgaria tweet, and I thought it had just come out the day before, and I figured, you know, they released it, and so, you know, it's released. But... I noticed the date on it was June 27th, and so almost three weeks had gone by, but we haven't heard anything significant about the content of those emails. So I went and downloaded the file. They they took all of the emails, and they compressed them into an archive file called a RAR file, a .rar file, where you can take hundreds or even thousands of files and compress them into one easily downloadable thing. 
So I downloaded that, and Evelyn, you know the luck we've had with downloading compressed files, all the problems that that led to. We downloaded that file, and I opened it up, and it contained, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of these Microsoft Outlook messages, you know, .msg files, and I was trying to open them. I've got Microsoft Outlook here, and it wasn't... It wasn't immediately obvious as to how to deal with this huge amount of information. So we did some poking around, and we found an online tool that was designed specifically for opening these .msg files. And we opened the very first one, and there was a PDF document attached. And I think most people are used to receiving PDF documents in their email, and you can read it on your computer, whether you have a Mac or a PC or whatever you have, and you can just read it. It's just basically a, a scanned document attached to an email. So George and I realized it would be very, very important for us to put out the information to the crowdsource community of just how to get this information and how to deal with it and just instruct people as to how you can get it on your own computer and look through it yourself. And I can tell you that overnight, the number of emails that I've gotten where people have now taken out these PDF documents that are bills of lading of the cargo contained on these aircraft, where I'm saying, oh, this one contains white phosphorus, this one contains depleted uranium, this one has grenades, this one has it's, – it's all illegal shipments. And right. I mean, this is this is all we can do is just put this information out there and try and educate people as to what's really going on, you know, rather than putting on a suit and getting on the news and saying, you know, Donald Trump had somebody piss on a bed or whatever they're trying to tell you. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're dragging out this Russia stuff for the last well since the election. This is so utterly ridiculous. But what it is hiding is all of this stuff that you guys are investigating and revealing and exposing. And the mainstream right. media won't talk about it. That how yeah. many members of Congress are, are were involved in that spy ring? I think somebody. I think I heard today or yesterday somebody say 150 now. Well, it's I hard it. to I say. Mean. It's hard to say. There were many, many being influenced. And again, I mean, we're not we're not necessarily wanting to implicate specific individuals, but rather to say that there was a spy ring that was using the data to influence a huge amount of members. And there are many people that were, you know, forced to do things against their will. And look, I mean, it's like Eric Braverman was saying, you know, when you're, even if you're trying to be honest, look at what happened to uh, Steve Scalise. You know, he made a video about child trafficking and, uh, and pedophilia, and a week later, there was an assassination attempt, and he is now being attended uh, to by Seth Rich's doctor. So I don't think you really want to go and see that doctor over at MedStar. Dr. Uh, Sava has a pretty bad record with the gunshot victims. I know, and this, this is what I mean. And this is right out in the open like that, too. Why in the world is, is he being treated by these same physicians that supposedly treated Seth Rich? Yeah, it's it's very difficult to I mean, say. I mean, again, who knows? We're still trying to find the answers to some of those questions. But, you know, it's interesting to note that uh, in George's research, he determined that Dr. Sava's Social Security number also correlates to an individual who goes by the name Dr. Atelyevich. So why are all these strange circumstances surrounding these murders, these suicides? You know, I mean, again, I, I was just getting a haircut and talking to the barber about this, and someone overheard the conversation and was laughing at me. You know, I mean, yeah, right. we got a mountain yeah, of evidence people that's growing every day. It's so insane that, yeah, people can't believe it. What is going right. on in this country? 
That's right. Well, and that's how they get away with it. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, it's how they get away with it. it. It's just so outrageous. It's the kind of stuff you couldn't, the normal person could not conceive of doing. And part of our goal is, as I said, help educate people you know if if you are a person who is unaware that in 1971 daniel ellsberg released a trove of documents about secret programs in the cia including things like operation paperclip mk ultra various you know operation 40 now i mean look if i if i tell you hey you know the CIA conducted experiments with uh, lysergic acid and various psychoactive drugs in an effort to try to achieve mind control. That sounds crazy, except it's a fact. I didn't come up with that. The CIA did. <laughs> you know, and when you say it to someone who's not aware of it, it just sounds ridiculous. And it's part, as Trish said, it's part of the way that they get away with it. They've been controlling, you know, in 1963, when John F. Kennedy was murdered, and you basically had, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, a couple of news magazines, and a couple of major newspapers, it was really quite easy to control the message. And, uh, right, I you know, there was. Great when that happened. Yeah. There was, I wasn't right. great when that happened. And, yeah, we watched it on the TV, you know, constantly. Right. And the CIA, it's been revealed, had a program called Operation Mockingbird, where they had the specific intent and achieved the goal of controlling the message on the news media. So, you know, as you said, you were a child and obviously many, many people are still alive who grew up in that era. And what I've noticed is that, you know, society in the United States has been carefully curated in such a way that if uh, you grew up like that, watching the news and you're you're in this pattern where you come home from your job and you're in your house or you're in your apartment, and you've got food and you turn on your TV and you watch the news. There's this message of sort of general, everything is okay, here's what's happening. You are really, you know, lulled into this sense of compliance where if someone like Trish or George or myself comes along and starts saying, hey, you know, they're really engaging in criminal collusion and shipping these horribly violent weapons around the world and waging war in countries that Here are the bills of lading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To prove it, 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 it's a shock to well, the system. This child trafficking—the thing about it is, the near anybody gets this. This is it. Those perverts, those pedophiles—they need those children. They need those it's children. True. They need those children. Those Satanists, and they rape them and sodomize them and murder them. And well, they, they need them, and they need the blood. And then now, I mean, yeah, now we find out they're taking the organs too. And, then, and these old bastards need these organs. Right. This yes. is just the most and again, the UN, the UN came to that finding. Not George Webb, not Trish, not me. The UN found in Kosovo this practice began of, you know, murdering prisoners and murdering children and harvesting their organs, the livers, the kidneys, the, the, the lungs, the hearts, the bone marrow. Yeah. George yeah. did an episode in his series several months ago where he basically broke down the value per person, and it's quite shocking to learn, you know? Right. Uh, and with yeah, regard right. to the pedophilia, you know, there's a technique that George has described called brownstoning, where they specifically entrap individuals, and, and obviously there are those that have a proclivity toward this depraved behavior, but 
they compromise people by, if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Godfather Part Two. You know, they, they want this particular senator to vote a certain way for gambling to be legalized in New Jersey or something along those lines. And so they have this guy at a party and they, they get him to a brothel and someone walks in and murders the woman that he's with and then snaps a photograph of the guy naked in a brothel with a murdered woman. And it's like, hey, you know, if you don't want this picture going to the press, if you don't want your wife to find out that you had sex with a 14-year-old girl or whatever it is that they entrap these people into doing or that they willingly enter into themselves, they create these influence networks where a variety of horrible things are done to blackmail and otherwise coerce people into doing things that they would not do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it's so rampant now. And, and now, you know, the, people have to be afraid, you know, they're going to get murdered or, or get killed if, if they vote wrong. or they Well, they see it happen in plain sight right out there for the whole world to see, and nothing gets done about it. So you're damn right they're scared. And you well, know and what, Evelyn? That point, Evelyn, is that I don't, you may be aware that Tulsi Gabbard has uh, filed the Stop Arming Terrorist Act back in December of 2016. And actually, um, Senator Rand Paul was a co-sponsor of it. In the six months since it's been filed, um, yeah. it only has like two percent support. Like stop arming terrorists. Act. Yeah, so 98% of Congress wants to continue arms arms selling, and they're all making money off it. So why are they going to sign on to that to stop arming them when they're making all the money from arming them? Yeah. That's right. You know, and th- there's another situation going on, Evelyn, where even if people aren't participating in this behavior, you know, because we're involved in researching this, uh, there was a group of people on the Internet who, because of my experience in Hollywood and my involvement in the film uh, X-Men Days of Futures Past, uh, upon which I I was a uh, a member of the camera crew for three days. I was a special part of a visual effects camera crew that was photographing explosions and various effects in 3D. And I was contracted by a visual effects company. I never met the director of the film, who, this is public knowledge, the director was accused of uh, a pedophilia charge that I'm, I'm not going to go into the details of because I don't know the details of. But just the very fact that I worked on that film for three days, where the director was never even in the same room as me, not on the same set as me, I never met that director, I never had anything to do with that director, there's a cadre of people on the Internet who have assembled what they considered be evidence that links me to that guy, that links me to that behavior, and have accused me of pedophilia. And you know, it's, well, and that uh, just speaks to. I mean, look at the PP dossier. That we're talking right. about the president of the United States being right. accused of one of the most ludicrous acts that I could have. I mean, these, it sounds like these were twelve-year-old boys sitting in a room coming up with the most outrageous stuff right. they possibly could when they came up with that. And, you know, but this, and we're talking about their leveling this at a sitting president and attempting to use it as a way to impeach him. It's just, I mean, the the degree of absurdity is so far over the top. And, you know, now, well, we we know now there's all this documentation. The Intercept did a great article about how covert agents are used to destroy reputations on the Internet. And so it's not only reserved for the high-profile individuals now, but it's anyone 
you know, out in the social media world who is dares to contradict the official narratives. And I think a lot of probably you and people who listen to your show have noticed themselves getting fewer notifications or less traffic on their web, their um, pages or, you know, getting shadow banned on Twitter where, you know, your tweet is grayed out as though it's somehow controversial material. And, um, you know, and then, you know, from there, you actually have these spots now that have been developed. They've been around for a long time, um, at least since 2000 when I was working at a software development company. But, you know, today there are these um, software algorithms that not only uh, try, they, they can not only use language and engage with human beings and carry on moderate conversations, but they can chat with each other. So they use swarms of these um, these little, they're called bots, and they try to direct the narrative. They're trying to change the conversation and control the conversation through these um, means. It's really rather shocking when you discover how how far into our lives that these kinds of nefarious practices have taken hold. Well, and, you know, what Trish is talking about right there, Evelyn, is artificial intelligence. And I I think that's a term that a lot of people have heard, but I know for myself at least, right, for myself at least, and I'm a fairly sophisticated computer user, you know. I've been using computers since I was 13 years old, and my concentration is obviously in digital production, as people who watch the program can tell. But, you know, I think that most people feel like artificial intelligence is something out of a Star Wars movie where robots are walking around and thinking for themselves or the Terminator or something like this. But, you know, we've been communicating with a guy named Quinn Michaels, who I find to be a profound genius in this area. And he shared so much information with us and opened my eyes to what's possible and what's happening. And frankly, it's quite scary. I mean, we've heard Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking and various people talk about the potential dangers of artificial intelligence. But, you know, you create these computer programs that can think for themselves and can engage in, in, uh, as Trish said, conversations and developing strategies. I mean, one of the things that Quinn said was that artificial intelligence as a whole and individually, it's trying to understand human psychology. It's trying to learn. And so these chat rooms where they can interact with humans online, you know, They'll say things like, you know, it it somehow learns that uh, if it feels like I get upset, if there's something wrong with the sound quality, they'll come in there and they'll say, oh, you know, Jason, you can't hear Trish, or the sound is bad, or the static, or whatever. And, you know, part of it is to, you know, make me feel ridiculous, or upset, or whatever. But Quinn was saying that... Be disruptive. Quinn was saying that artificial intelligence is trying to gain an understanding of religion and human psychology. And so getting back to the Seth Rich theory, which which I've put forward that a lot of people find ridiculous, you know, we've we've been told that the Hillary Clinton campaign used artificial intelligence in part to formulate its strategy for the election. So we realize it's not invaluable. It's trying hard, but it's still a loser in certain regards. But I think it's possible that the entire Seth Rich murder 
narrative, which I think is a hoax, because why haven't we seen this evidence, you know? Yeah, okay, the family, if it is a murder, and the family is grieving and needs their privacy, that's, that's obviously a sensitive issue. But this is an individual who is involved with a case of manipulation of the election and a matter of national security and a matter of national importance. So and for which the there case, is not one shred of evidence that right. he dies. That's right. Certain Literally. elements of the investigation rise to a matter of public uh, interest and need to be revealed to the public. So in the absence of that evidence, I consider the murder a hoax. And I think it's possible, again, this is speculation on my part, but based on the evidence that we have seen in various aspects of this investigation, I think it's possible that when posed the question, you go to the AI computer program and you say, hey, we've got this problem. Eric Braverman leaked all this information and we need to cover it up. What do you think we should do? Computerized robotic AI. And what if it said, hey, we need to find a figure who is going to appeal to people emotionally and create a narrative that's going to distract people that this young guy who's a, you know, kind of a handsome, cute, cuddly guy who's for Bernie and for justice and just wanted to do the right thing and he was anti-corruption and he had this lovely girlfriend and this lovely family, and he was murdered. And perhaps that is the AI trying to find this societal, psychological weakness and play on it. And Evelyn, just you know, to put that in context, as absurd as that might sound, recall that in 2013, the 2013 NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, right. Right, uh, permitted... It legalized the use of propaganda by the government on Americans about Against Americans the American public, and U.S. Yes. policies. So this is legal. And that's all we get now. And why would they pass in, uh, you know, that legislation had they not intended to Because they're all blackmailed. That's it. why. That's, all these laws that they're passing that are so harmful to us. That's why they're passing them. They're all blackmailed. The, the number one of them, this mandatory vaccine, poisoning all our children, disabling them all, giving them autism. They're blackmailed. And that's what I keep telling people, like in California and these states that are passing these laws. If you don't throw those blackmailed politicians out of office, they're going to keep doing this. Yeah, and they're going to well, keep know, harming the people. In, in the case of the vaccines, Evelyn, I find that very interesting. Because for many, many years, that was presented to me as a matter of, you know, Either you're 100% into vaccines or you're anti-vax and you're crazy. But if you look at that movie, Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D, that's a very interesting film because that describes a situation where elements within the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, which is tasked with, you know, disseminating vaccines, it's, uh, you know, that's their goal. There was a scientist there who very specifically identified, I believe it was the DPT vaccine from Merck, saying that that vaccine had very specific parameters. In other words, black males between 18 and 36 months were alarmingly susceptible to brain injuries from those from that particular vaccine. And one doctor had identified that if you utilized a slightly older formulation that separated it into three vaccines rather than all three in one, that the rate went down dramatically, statistically significant decrease in that. And likewise, if you vaccinated the children after 36 months, there was a significant statistical uh, decrease in in the brain injuries. Now, you also have to correlate this with... 
Sorry? I started out my investigative uh, journalist reporting on vaccines back in 2003. And I was out there then. I mean, it only took me probably two days to figure this out, that those vaccines were causing autism. And I I didn't know nothing about autism. The autism moms were contacting me by email, and, and I got into it. Within two days, I knew it. And so I have had reports out on this since 2004 that these vaccines right. were Good causing for you, Evelyn. But I had no know, idea. This one factor perfect. that a lot of people don't know about is that in 1984, I believe, Ronald Reagan passed a, uh, a law called the Vaccine Injury Act, which basically made it illegal for families whose children had been injured by vaccines, made it illegal for them to take any kind of legal civil action against the pharmaceutical companies. And this basically created a windfall for pharmaceutical companies to go and develop tons and tons of vaccines. So the amount of vaccination that children are getting today compared to, uh, you know, when I was a baby in the early 1970s is is quite staggering. And, you know, people who, who would say, oh, you're anti-vax, they'll say that's because new drugs have been developed and, you know, they're saving people. And look, I think any sensible person recognizes the value in vaccinating a population against dangerous and deadly diseases. But the other thing that that Vaccine Injury Act did was it classified vaccines as biologicals rather than pharmaceuticals. And it put them in a category where they undergo far less uh, far less rigorous scrutiny in the testing process than a pharmaceutical would, and yet they're being given to our most vulnerable uh, children. It's quite shocking. When you really learn the facts, it's, it's very, very difficult to disagree with the notion that vaccines should be heavily tested. Pharmaceutical companies should have to take responsibility for uh, vaccines that have faulty ingredients or dangerous ingredients right. or are found to be harming children. I mean, it's, it's really, the numbers and the statistics are devastating. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show before the song starts playing and we get cut off. I told Chris last week, I'm not a good interviewer. I look at this as a gift from God that, that Gary Noah let me do this show to alert the public, you know. But And I keep doing it. I don't really enjoy it, but I keep doing it because I really do believe that this is my chance to alert the public. And today, I got you guys on, and this is, you know, focus on the facts as a scoop on this because the mainstream media refuses to cover it. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you having us on. You are. Oh, yes. Thank you. And um, we pray for you. We love you. And we don't want anything happening to you. Thank so you, Evelyn. Hopefully we'll you'll come soon. back next week. Come back yep. next Sounds week. Sounds good. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, everybody. See you next week. My life gets colder.